1: Hey everybody and welcome back to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. I hope everybody is doing well and thank you so much for listening and making a commitment to learning. We are your hosts. I am the porter of Jordan and joined by the Brandenburg of Yvonne.
0: <laughs> hey.
1: <laughs> Switching it up a bit.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. You know, yeah.
1: yeah. How's if it going? you're like classy i don't know 1700 people that's probably pretty normal
0: <laughs> maybe yeah 1500s i don't know maybe yeah it could be could be i see what you're see where you're going with this yeah yeah i don't know i'm also been watching a lot of outlander recently because i'm trying to catch up for the new season and so i'm happy being
1: such a good movie i mean show see what happens like when. <sighs> in books see what happens yeah. though when like women just do it all like, just, like it's just such a good show <laughs> like,
0: it's just... oh my god it's so funny <laughs> my husband's like Ugh. <laughs> i know <laughs> Although so he I... does totally get sucked in and then he's like okay i'm gonna go in the garage but then he comes back and he's like what happened and i'm like yeah if you just that stayed too. here and watch like it'd be fine <laughs> but
1: i saw some memes like i think it was on i don't know some social media platform but it was like uh of course, women love the show Outlander. It's written and directed like by a woman or something like that, and it's like a woman's perfect man. Like, yeah, because he's so like I can caring see, I can see. and so like, yeah. you know,
0: everybody loves Jamie. He's got the full package because he's like authoritarian, yeah, but not over. Well, he gets in trouble when he's too overbearing. So that's funny. (laughs) I was like, oh, that's, that's going to backfire on you. I'm like, you probably don't want to do that. And then I'm like, see, backfired. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's a good show. I haven't really watched a good show in a while. I've been listening to, oh, I told you, I was trying to set like intentions and stuff. So I've been listening to Mm -hmm. like meditating stuff and I'm going to read a book and. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not on a TV fix right now.
0: I normally am not but like I just needed a brain break um
1: yeah I get into so, modes like I need yeah I binge like I don't steadily watch things I binge yeah. something and then I don't yep. watch anything for like two months and then I binge something and then like <laughs> that's so how I am I'm just like yeah, ugh. yeah. like the last thing I watched was Wednesday Adam oh so yeah. good yeah, yeah. So, but it's like I haven't seen anything since that came out. So I haven't like
0: yeah. Yeah, uh-oh. it's it's so funny because that is one thing the pandemic really changed for me is like I never watched TV, like never. Mm. Like I was totally content not even like having any subscriptions or anything, although my husband definitely watches TV. Um but like during the pandemic I'm like, well what else am I going to do? I can't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so so there was definitely more TV watching that happened which is um it was kind of weird having to like pull back from that because TV's highly addicted just saying. Um and so now I feel like I've gotten to the point where I'm kind of back into like a normal space with TV because I'm just like I don't need it. It is a time suck.
1: <laughs> like yeah. I have much
0: more important things to do. Um that's why I figured
1: I just waste one day every two months <laughs>
0: just binge yeah yeah <laughs>
1: and just like yeah. call it good you know yeah
0: yeah and i mean for me it's like i've already seen those episodes because yeah. i'm rewatching from the beginning so like seriously if i sleep through them
1: yeah it's, it's not totally a big deal. fine <laughs> or if you're like doing dishes yeah that's yeah <laughs> i will say i do turn on like Shit's creek and stuff just for like some background noise sometimes oh but, yeah like
0: also a good show
1: oh my
0: god a good apparently show. we're just gonna talk about good shows to
1: start this episode yeah. <sighs> yeah so otherwise like I haven't I haven't done anything like I haven't even researched much homesteading stuff Ooh, what I did do though <laughs> I made some like coffee syrup you know like what they have at Starbucks two pumps of vanilla like uh-huh. so I made the syrup so I made vanilla syrup and I made a brown sugar cinnamon syrup
0: Interesting, delicious
1: by the way and so like, I just started making like iced coffee with it. Cause I'm like, it's July and <laughs> like, it's hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like, I just brewed a big thing of coffee and put it out in the fridge and then just make iced coffee in the morning. Like even Matt's drinking it and he's not a coffee person.
0: I've, I'm excited because, <laughs> well, I have a large kitchen now, so I literally had to buy a regular coffee pot. <laughs> because all I had was my little tiny Keurig that used to take up a giant amount of space in my old kitchen. And now it's like, it's like, you barely even notice it. Um, but I bought a regular po- coffee pot cause our friends were over and you know, people are coffee drinkers. So I bought a coffee pot, um that I use and the standard coffee there. pots like 20 bucks like. <laughs> right yeah I did not spend a lot on it
1: <laughs> like compared um, to a Keurig which is like what <laughs> 120 so
0: well like... it was just the little one so I think it was like 80 or 90 and like I use that thing every day well um, yeah but yeah
1: yeah so like my cheap little $20 coffee pot
0: yeah I don't drink that much coffee I like have my one cup and then I'm good yeah um, I drink so. like usually two Yeah. Well, and does does your husband drink coffee? No. Oh, see, yeah, neither does mine. So it's just, I just, just so what I
1: started doing was I make, I make like a third of a pot and I drink most of that. Oh, okay. And then I pour the rest in the fridge. So when I want iced coffee, like later in the day or Hmm. the following morning, if I don't want hot coffee, then, and then I just clean out my like cold coffee thing once a week. Yeah, but it never lasts long enough to like need cleaning. (laughs) just right like it's been in the fridge now for like three
0: days and it's almost gone. (laughs) So (laughs) that's so funny. Yeah. Um. Really quick because this episode is right before our monthly CE. Um, So this coming weekend, if you're listening to this, the day it goes live um, is our uh, monthly CE. So July 22nd, 2023, uh, we're doing our normal cat vomiting. There's no such thing CE. Again, this is one of our most requested CEs, uh, which is fine by me because we can soapbox the heck out of it. Um so if you are uh internal medicine for vet tech membership member remember all of these monthly CE's are free for you they are all race approved um so you can just come and get some free CE if you're not a member you're more than welcome to come um there is a small fee if you're not a member um, you can get the invitation if you join our newsletter um, so internal medicine for vet um and you can join the newsletter there. Or um, if you go to internalmedicineforvettex.com slash events, uh, there's a link for our Zoom um, events page where you can see all of our events coming up. Um, and we've got some stuff in the works, which, oh, God, I'm so excited. I can't wait until we can start talking about it. I know, right? Ugh, this is what happens when Jordan can work full time for us because then thoughts and ideas that had been in our head just as a maybe someday, um, we've actually have started doing some concrete things with, which is very exciting. Um, So we'll be announcing that hopefully soon. Um, So next month in August, we're back to our normal schedule. So Saturday, August 12th, um, we'll be lecturing about renal disease. So, um, you could definitely join us next month. Same thing. If you want to get on the, the, the list, there's a bunch of places to find it. So yeah. Um, and this week we're going to continue our nutrition with hepatic disease. So we're going to talk some liver stuff, which liver and food kind of, there's a lot of stuff that goes on with that.
1: So, yep. We're going to be talking about nutritional management for hepatic disease this week. So luckily the liver, Oh, I have a, like, I enjoy the liver. I'm learning to love the liver more and more. Mm. I think,
0: I think it's when you start understanding the liver more, Yeah, right? It's like, you get this appreciation for how, how much it can do. The liver is, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How much the body really relies on the liver. It's kind of crazy.
1: (laughs) So the liver is responsible for several functions, right? But a lot of the, like the big one that we really think of is going to be the removal of byproducts, usually from the digestion of food and then the absorption of food and the production of proteins, which can be necessary for normal blood consistency and clotting.
0: Okay. You know, it's little, little stuff.
1: Yeah. (laughs) we often see anorexia and weight loss in our patients that have liver disease. So Mm. one of the most important things that we can do for liver disease therapy is really just ensuring that the pet has appropriate energy intake. So that way we really want to minimize the catabolism that's likely going to occur when a pet's battling liver disease. So diets for animals with liver disease though, need to be easily digestible, highly palatable uh calorically dense and then easy for people to prepare and feed right so and mm. and we want to with liver disease also again small frequent meals is going to be recommended because we, we want to
0: overwhelm the liver
1: yeah exactly and we really want to just drive home the ability for the body to digest food and achieve uh, achieve all the necessary components that need to come from <laughs> yeah. absorbing the nutrients. We need to
0: digest it. We need to make sure we turn it into whatever it needs to be turned into, and then use it appropriately. Which is the liver does a lot of that, <laughs> which is crazy.
1: And I'm not sure if we've ever talked about it, uh, or if it's like widely known too much. But I think that the liver influences like glucose homeostasis just a little bit so (laughs) it's just a little bit (laughs) and it does this by uh glucogenesis uh or glucogenolysis or gluconeogenesis from amino acids and lactate uh it also detoxifies nitrogen through the urea cycle and helps with ketogenesis
0: yep And we talked about ketogenesis in our DKA episode. So, um, you know, when we break down free fatty acids in the liver that creates ketones. Um, so yeah.
1: Yeah. So first things first is we're going to start with carbohydrates and we want to make sure that, Carbohydrates do not exceed more than 35 to 45% of the diet's total calories. Um, It's important though, that we have adequate carb intake though, just to help maintain those glucose concentrations. And then again, same thing when focusing on glucose concentrations, we find that feeding smaller frequent meals throughout the day actually helps to maintain those concentrations pretty well. Yep. And then protein modification and restriction. So this could be a modified protein diet or a restricted protein diet. And that's used to help with the insufficient nitrogen detoxification. And so um, it's so funny because like when I was doing these notes for like specifically protein restriction is like For X, Y, Z, you don't, like, do not restrict protein in liver
0: disease. (laughs) Right, yep.
1: But for A, (laughs) B, C, we should restrict protein
0: in liver disease. Yep. So
1: let's get into it. So protein restriction, though, or liver disease in particular, does not automatically mean that we should start restricting protein. Especially in cats, we should not be restricting protein in cats. Unless they have hepatic lipidosis, <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> or, no, I'm sorry. Protein restriction can actually be detrimental in cats with hepatic lipidosis. So it can actually <laughs> delay healing with our hepatic lipidosis cats. And it can even hinder patients with chronic, but stable, uh, necroinflammatory liver disease. And this is those cases Ugh. like that do not, do not have hepatic encephalopathy or a portosystemic shunt.
0: I'm so glad you knew what those initials were. Cause I was like,
1: <laughs> it took me a minute. Like when I was doing the notes and I was like, am I going to remember these? <laughs> um, When we have hepatic encephalopathy in particular, protein restriction is appropriate because what we see with hepatic insufficiency is sometimes we'll see ammonium biurate urate crystal urea. And so mm-hmm. we can also see that with portosystemic shunting, right? And that's usually confirmed by like protein C assessment.
0: We want to make sure that we have enough protein to make sure that Mm -hmm. we have a positive nitrogen balance. So we don't have tissue metabolism, but we don't want so much that it's going to cause problems. Um, So we do want to restrict it to a certain amount, but like the body still needs some protein to make sure that we don't go after our fat stores and our protein stores, like our muscles. And so we, it's, it's hard because you got to find that balance. Um, and this is where, <laughs> this is where people with uh, VTS and nutrition or veterinary nutritionists, um, this is where they excel. <laughs> but like for, so this, this particular one, right? Protein uh, restrictions seem necessary um, with an initial restriction of 2.5 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight, um, and so this is kind of um, that's that's for dogs. For cats, it's 3.5 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight, um, and then typically, when we're talking about um, the diet itself, when we're looking at kcal's, so dry weight uh, analysis for every 100 kcal's for a dog's food. We want it to have less than five grams of protein with cats for every hundred kcal. We want it to be less than seven grams of protein. So this is, uh, I mean, thankfully a lot of the diets that are labeled like liver diet, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> They've already figured this out for us. But if you have a patient that like, let's say they also have food allergies because it's internal medicine, why wouldn't they? Um, that's where you start having to do that dry water analysis and figure out You know how much protein are in these foods, or again, a veterinary uh, nutritionist that can formulate a diet specifically for them. Which yeah, yay comorbidities.
1: (laughs) Well, and oftentimes, like if protein restriction is deemed necessary, it might change, right? Like it might need to be tailored to the pet, and so based off of their symptoms. So having these guys back in for rechecks, even when just managing a liver disease trying to get these guys back into for rechecks to discuss how the pet's doing physically and historically at home, as well as just all their assessments to try to help guide further tailoring of the diet. So like whether or not Mm -hmm. we're checking protein levels or not. Um, but again, like I said, we're not really very often restricting protein in cats in particular. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially shouldn't be restricted with hepatic lipidosis because again, that just can really compromise their healing process and even their survival of it. Um, we kind of already talked about how we should not restrict protein in pets with chronic necroinflammatory liver disorders, and that's going to happen, or that's recommended because these animals usually have higher protein requirements, um, than a healthy pet (laughs) because, um, Because of the need for tissue repair and cell replication.
0: Right. Proteins are really important for that. Crazy important.
1: Well, I mean, like if you think about it in a, like in a human sense, like, right, when you go to the gym and Mm -hmm. you're like working out, right. And you're creating all these little micro tears in your muscle and stuff like that. And they say that you should increase your protein intake after going to the gym. So you can repair Mm -hmm. those muscles and, and limit the amount of like soreness you feel from the damage you've done. Right. Because it helps repair tissue and cell replication. So want to help the liver do that for sure. Um, The source of protein can influence the severity of hepatic encephalopathy. So kind of back onto dogs. So uh, based on research, meat-based protein can actually trigger a more severe response compared to those vegetable and dairy proteins Mm hmm so some of those vegetarian diets might be good for these guys (laughs) right uh cottage cheese or egg-based diets are actually very commonly used as vegetarian diets for dogs with hepatic encephalopathy um a lot of times what happens is veterinarians will actually slowly increase the amount of protein in a diet usually by adding small amounts of some other foods, sometimes cottage cheese or things like that, or eggs, in an attempt to really maximize the amount of protein that a pet's consuming, as long as we're not causing clinical signs.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Because protein's important, right? Like a pet needs protein, but yeah. we want to be sure that we kind of remain, we don't cross that line that we cause symptoms.
0: <laughs> it's funny because I think my doctor, they tend to use eggs more than like cottage cheese because the cottage cheese lactose blah blah blah. yeah i was like stuff. it's the
1: dairy and stuff
0: and and we know that eggs are 100 percent bioavailability so it's really nicely digested um yeah. so sometimes they'll just say adding the eggs to the the diet yeah
1: but again in these guys with hepatic encephalopathy in particular when we are kind of pulling back their protein intake but want to increase it again we're frequently rechecking these guys and usually monitoring those blood albumin concentrations, uh, as well as how the pet's doing mm-hmm. food intake and, and things like that, just to see if, just to make sure that we are not causing protein malnutrition.
0: Right. So this is stuff like hair coat, um, skin, you know, growth if they need to grow, muscle loss, maintaining like. muscle mass, like all that stuff is included in it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, good old protein plays a big role. But just remember, for the most part for liver disease, we're not generally reaching for a low-protein diet. Dietary fat. Again, no need to restrict this in our liver disease patients because usually these animals don't have any problems with fat digestion. Uh, It's also important, though, that fat actually helps when we can provide essential fatty acids and fat-soluble vitamins. The only exception for this, because, you know, the liver was making it difficult, is our pets with chronic EHBDO um, or destructive cholangitis kitties. What's
0: EHBDO? Something, 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 something. Hepatic biliary duct obstruction? Yeah. Oh, look at! I was pretty dang close. <laughs> extra hepatic bile duct obstruction or destructive cholangitis Mm.
1: or ductopenia
0: that sounds horrible like you get less ducts so in those cases
1: well i'm assuming it obviously sounds like it's if the body can't secrete that mucus and fat, then like you shouldn't. You should probably restrict the fat. So uh, again, those animals in particular with EHBDO or destructive cholangitis or ductopenia, they have a reduced entry of bile into the GI tract. And um, they also have impaired enterohepatic circulation of the bile acids too. And what that does is it limits emulsification, digestion, and does not help digest fat. So yep. Another exception is
0: gallbladder mucosils. The gallbladder mucosils. Yep. We usually usually
1: because you this is like slightly different though. It's usually because we want to reduce fat in those guys because they usually have an idiopathic hyperlipidemia to go along with that. (laughs) mucosil yeah. <laughs> so usually yeah. we're reducing fat <clears> throat> really throat> for that <laughs> and yeah and not for the mucosil itself like it's yeah. anyway um cats in particular are susceptible to thiamine which is b1 cobalamine which is b12 and vitamin k deficiencies which is um which occurs when our pets cats are chronically anorexic or anappetent they are treated with antimicrobials or they have severe intestinal or pancreatic disease or they demonstrate chronic gallbladder issues as well um so those guys in particular generally need some supplementation with some b vitamins and maybe even vitamin k but we've talked about it a lot in the past if they are icteric, you should probably start vitamin k um mm-hmm. <laughs> hyperthyroid cats can usually develop malabsorptive problems and might be prone to some complications that, um, when also
0: affected with cholangiohepatitis or hepatic lipidosis.
1: So, if so they...
0: they're more susceptible when they're hyperthyroid. Ugh. Yeah. Like, hyperthyroid's not bad enough. We're also going to throw in some cholangiohepatitis and hepatic lipidosis. It's fine. Well, it's kind of like. And heart disease. We'll just throw that in there, too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Versus like the dogs who just get fat and lazy. <laughs> like,
0: but they, but they're hypothyroid. So they just, well, I know lazy. I'm just
1: saying like mm-hmm. cats got the short end of the stick on the, the thyroid. Front. On the thyroid disease. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so true.
1: Yeah. Like cats are like, Hey, if you have this disease and this disease, it's really bad. <laughs> like Right. Fine. Like, and you don't typically just get one or the other. Often. Sometimes we even give you three at the same time. Oh yeah. 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 Anyway, uh, obviously we have dogs that can have some copper storage issues and those guys generally should not receive excessive vitamins, vitamin C in particular, because that can actually lead to oxidative injury, um, associated with metal accumulation. So
0: crazy. Wow.
1: Yep. Because vitamin C, it's an important soluble intracellular antioxidant. And what it does is it helps to convert oxidized tocopherol radicals back into active (laughs) alpha-tofo-tofer-tocopherol. I don't know what any of that means.
0: (laughs) I'm like, uh, I just recognize the words, but I mean... So, vitamin C, it, I mean, it's an intracellular antioxidant. I mean, I think that's kind of the big key on that.
1: It's just interesting because, like, was it last episode that we were just like, yeah, you can't really overdo it on vitamin C unless you have copper storage disease? <laughs> <Don't> do <it. laughs>
0: well, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense. Like, okay, so this is, sorry, this is my brain thinking about this. If you think about copper in general mm-hmm. being exposed to oxygen, yeah, it changes. It changes to that weird green oxidized yeah. look. <laughs> yeah. Get it, get it? Um so if it is I see we're connecting intra- dots here. I know. I know, right? This is like my brain actually working. If it's an intracellular antioxidant I don't know. I'm huh I think it's weird that vitamin C would cause oxidative injury. When it's an antioxidant? Yeah.
1: Maybe it just does too much.
0: Maybe. Huh. Yeah. Anyways, it's interesting. Don't give extra vitamin C to dogs with copper storage disease. Yeah.
1: Pretty much is the gist of it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the dogs you can overdo it on. Yeah. Vitamin K, like I already said, uh, should be administered to any jaundice patient with suspected liver disease. However, you should suspect liver disease if a pet's jaundice. <laughs> <Right>. So <laughs> <What>? <laughs> And you do want to try to give that as early as possible. Like that's an imbalance that you want to try to correct pretty quickly. Because I don't know if you know, but vitamin K really plays a huge
0: role in coagulation. Well, I don't think we've ever talked about that. So if you don't want to be chasing, I
1: know I want to do my coagulation lecture again soon. Anyway, Mm. uh, overdosing a vitamin K though, because it is a fat soluble vitamin. Yeah. In cats. Yeah. In cats. That's what this one's about in cats. (laughs) I know. Uh, we can overdose vitamin K because again, it is a fat soluble vitamin but in cats in particular when if we overdose in vitamin k it can actually lead to heinz body hemolytic anemia and pets can become symptomatic from this
0: that's so crazy to me (laughs) don't do it like normal this is this is why this is why you want a food (laughs) that is balanced for life stages because if you have over supplementation of things as simple as a vitamin, it can cause anemia. This is why we want to make sure that, you know, our, our foods are AFCO certified and all that fun stuff. And we get a veterinary nutritionist or a VTS in nutrition involved because don't don't try to just be like, I'm gonna feed them chicken <laughs> and give them random supplements. No. I'm gonna just give them all no. the vitamins I find at the store. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> uh, sorry. I know everybody with a VTS in nutrition right now is like, dang, dang straight. I <sighs> you know.
1: Vitamin E, however, I do know about vitamin E because it is a very important antioxidant. Also works as an anti-inflammatory and it works as an anti-fibrotic uh, when we use it in necroinflammatory and cholestatic liver disorders. Mm. Vitamin E is great. I love it. So... That being said, we should also not overdo vitamin E because too much vitamin E can actually interfere with vitamin K activity and that in turn can lead to coagulopathies. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) also too much vitamin E can (laughs) impair oxidant injury secondary to the accumulation of the tocopheroxyl radical. Which has to do
0: with vitamin C. (laughs) Yep. Yep. See, they all work together. (laughs) Yeah, so who would have thought
1: (laughs) like they all work together?
0: Right, this is homeostasis in action, guys. I know, I know.
1: And then we kind of talked about it a little bit, but increasing concentrations of copper, um, what that can do is change the oxidative stress and actually result in further liver, liver damage if we increase those concentrations of copper without it being necessary.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, and Um, this is, this is one of those things, like when we're talking about like ingestion of like pennies. Yeah. Yeah. Cause usually that is, that is how you get (laughs) copper and zinc. And yeah. Yeah. So
1: a lot of times dietary copper is restricted. Uh, Sometimes dietary zinc might need to be increased because higher concentrations can actually reduce the amount of copper uptake from the gut.
0: Yeah. And I think that's when we talk about like our hepatic lip no, excuse me, our copper storage kids. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons why we use zinc in these patients is to help reduce the amount of copper that can, that can be, because this, I mean, when we're talking about reducing for them, it's a huge amount. So it's almost impossible to find food low enough in copper to be okay. We usually have to include the zinc. To reduce how much the body absorbs of copper.
1: Yeah. Crazy. It is crazy. Um, so the downside to copper storage disease in particular <laughs> mm. is decreasing copper and increasing zinc in a pet's diet for a pet with copper storage disease actually is pretty difficult to monitor just because it usually requires several repeat liver biopsies, right? Like we, you have our original liver biopsy, then you're supposed to have follow-up liver yeah. biopsies, but it's not always financially feasible for a lot of people. So a lot of times veterinarians will actually monitor a pet's blood just to ensure that they're not developing anemia due to excessive copper restriction.
0: Yep. 'Cause it's cheap um I feel like we monitor with blood
1: work. There are blood panels to metal to measure metal concentrations. Right. But it's also an expensive test.
0: Well, yeah. Okay. I'm just like, i I know I've definitely sent off lab work for some of our um copper storage kids. Yeah.
1: Um, we can increase fiber a little bit just to help speed the amount of time, speed up the time that Ingesta is going through the guts. Um, and that's going to also help prevent constipation, which allows less toxins to be absorbed from the colon. But it's not one of those things that we necessarily like jump right on. And we also don't want to cause diarrhea either. Um we've talked about it pretty much since we started this series that (laughs) calculating RER is just resting energy requirement. And oftentimes these pets, even with liver disease actually are active at home. And so they need to be fed a maintenance energy requirement or MER. And usually that's going to be estimated by multiplying the RER by 1.12 up to 2.0 to account for body condition, age, activity, and things like that. And so usually those are estimates, right? And so we need to adjust food intake for the patient's weight and body condition.
0: Yeah. And I've, I've seen, I've seen some patients that actually need a little bit less than RER, not Mm -hmm. much, but sometimes a little bit. And so this is like, again, we're monitoring these patients to see like, okay, where we're, where's our weight at muscle condition score, body condition score, how are they doing? And then we adjust from there. So
1: I think one thing that, like, I'm taking away from all these episodes is for as many times as, like, we've started a diet and then, like, pets are just lost to follow-up, right? Like, and it's just, yeah it sucks because it's, like, those pets do still need follow-up just because, like, we started a new diet.
0: Yeah, and I mean, honestly, like, if we think about um, tech utilization... Would be mm-hmm. huge for nutrition. I mean huge. Oh yeah. That a hundred percent can be something a that a technician can make a tech appointment. That could be you producing income for your hospital because this doesn't require a doctor to be involved a hundred percent of the time, right? Like no the if doctor we, needs
1: to review the blood work that the technician if you're doing blood work. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah.
0: But I mean like for you know seeing if um Getting a, a diet is working, yeah. yeah. If it's like for the weight and like how are we doing, you know, and... the the body condition score, muscle con- like that's all stuff we can do. And then obviously, you know, we would review it with the doctors. It's not like we would just carb launch, and be like, here you go, I'm gonna yeah. change a prescription. No.
1: Well, and you're but not doing any. That's the thing yeah. too is you're generally not doing anything about it. You're just keeping tabs on that pet. But if something were going wrong, or if the, say the pet was still having diarrhea after two weeks right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, Hey doc, so and so's here. Weight remains the same. Everything else is fine, but we're still having diarrhea. Like, you know, and it's yep. just, I think, I think that med could do better with follow-ups.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. Like I, that's
1: just the bottom <laughs> line. Just...
0: Well, and and again, that's, that's tech utilization that we, <laughs> we can have whole episodes, not even just one, we have whole episodes of tech utilization. Um, again yeah, nutrition well, 2024,
1: is 2024 here we come <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Woo-hoo>. <laughs>
1: i know it's it's just like we could do better text could be utilized more and mm-hmm. ultimately it leads to better care for pets right and increased yeah. income for vet professionals
0: well and not only that but clients feel like they're more involved right exactly like they feel like they're able to make a difference they can well, see and the progress there's going to be
1: there's going to be less to of that. Well, I finished that bag of food. And
0: <laughs> so I
1: just assumed that nothing was said. So I just went back to my yeah. regular, you know? Oh, so it's gosh. just like, yeah. there'd be just yeah. better compliance and stuff. And so it's just, we could be better.
0: I do think um I have a, uh, uh, we have an episode, not next week, but maybe the week after on uh, helping with client compliance do we oh is that, is that on the schedule i, I believe that, that is for the beginning of august I <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> sorry <Yeah. laughs> but I mean, anyway we are essential for that part of the, the the care for the for our patients um and i doing will the say human medicine also sucks that. at it oh yeah um yeah
1: follow-up what's follow-up in human <clears throat> medicine <laughs>
0: Maybe in six months to five years they'll follow up on something. Right. Yeah.
1: Anyway, so <sighs> client communication. Sometimes with liver disease, these animals can be prone to hypoglycemia. I don't know if we touched on that in this episode, but the we liver We didn't talk a about it in this one, role. but we
0: definitely played in some of our or talked about it in our basic liver episodes. Because Yeah. Glycogenesis so in, and glyco, was it gluco, glycogenesis and glycolysis? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sometimes IV glucose might be needed uh, if the liver disease is severe, usually our hepatic encephalopathy, guys guys. Um, yeah.
0: yeah. A
1: lot of times, again, I know I said this in the beginning, but just because there's an elevation of liver enzymes alone. That does not warrant a dietary change right away. Right. Uh, in some instances, liver enzymes, if they remain consistently elevated, then that pet can usually benefit from like supplemental o- an- antioxidants. Um, and low liver cells can actually be protected from further damage when we add additional antioxidants into their diet um, or antioxidants that are found beyond the diet are given. So vitamin E, omega-3 fish oils. <laughs> like- yeah um thankfully
0: dogs like it
1: <laughs> also again there is new evidence suggesting that lots of cats with hepatic uh lipidosis have or will develop a cobalamin deficiency so a lot more clinics
0: are starting vitamin b12 like mm. pretty
1: pretty rapidly in these guys
0: <laughs> that's kind of i mean that's interesting it's kind of crazy that 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 <laughs> I don't know. B12. B12 to me is just it's we use it a lot <laughs> in internal medicine because so many it, of our patients have like GI disease. And it's just interesting the the benefits that we see from from giving cabal or giving B12. Like it, but it's crazy it ever- to me
1: all right, nutritionist people who actually make <laughs> veterinary diets, doesn't that make you wonder then if the diets that are already created are somehow a either affecting the, the guts because we just haven't perfected it yet. Right. Like it's a science and it's just not like we've domesticated animals. So like their needs, what they were before we domesticated them have changed to what the, like from what they are now. Like, I wonder mm. if there's just like, clearly they're lacking in the uptick of cobalamin <laughs> like so anyway don't, like don't you don't you think that like I? it just makes me wonder if there's like a lack of that nutrient in the commercial foods today
0: if but there's is a lack a, of is, is it like, a lack of the nutrient or do we of, of b12 like okay this is obviously yeah. above our pay grade right yeah is it, it is. a lack of b12 in the diet or is it Inflammatory diseases that we're seeing that are making it so they can't properly digest it. And then what is causing all the GI diseases that we're seeing?
1: That's what, there's no way that humans have perfected domesticated animals diets. No. Right. And that that
0: is not to say- before anybody gets all weird on us, that is not to say that we but recommend they have. not using. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> that is not
1: to say that they are like bad for pets whatsoever. I just don't think that like, clearly we're still discovering. Issues. Oh yeah.
0: Like if you think about like, we're going to talk about it. A, I mean, we'll touch on it next week a little bit with our heart nutrition one. But if you think about like just recently, right. With, with the grain free diet, quote unquote. Oh my God. Yeah. And that we was... still don't really know why that happened. Um, so, you know, is it something in our diets that is causing the GI disease? Like we, again, we still have no idea.
1: Or was there something in the natural world before they became domesticated where they did pick up these nutrients where they didn't get like, you know, it's just yeah. like, it's different, and we're trying to make <laughs> this diets... is why
0: I, I think I I want like a bug diet and a mouse diet and a bird yeah. diet like yeah. not not ducks not chickens but just like song like not that I want songbirds yeah <laughs> but just random birds like and it doesn't need to just be one type di- I don't know this is Anyways. your midwestern
1: mix up here here's your
0: <laughs> <laughs> right here's your what North American ever bird do to mix.
1: You? They're just not enough of
0: them, actually. I know. I do love songbirds. <sighs> my
1: mom called me this morning because she said her chickens were chasing like the little sparrows that land on the ground and stuff like that. And she's like, <laughs> Well, my chickens eat the birds. And I was like, Well, yes. I was like, They do eat mice and snakes and frogs. And so that's what I mean. Like, I wonder if we just, I think we too quickly assumed what dogs and cats.
0: Yeah, we, we took our normal stuff out. Like they don't yeah. eat lizards anymore. They don't eat bugs. They don't eat all this stuff, right?
1: Yeah, they don't eat the random plants that they'd ever munch on like when they yeah. were just too yeah. hungry, you know? So it's just like there's yeah. just still so much more to learn. And it's like, I don't, we're definitely not going to learn that in our lifetime. Like it's not. Like, no. <laughs> it's just interesting. Nope. Like when you actually sit there and think about it, it's like while well, we're trying to do like we're basically trying to fix the problem we made when we domestic first domesticated animals, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just <laughs> interesting.
0: Nutrition. It's a whole place. There's a lot of, if if you want to be on the forefront of stuff, I think nutrition is one of those places,
1: dude, for sure. Like, yeah, like <laughs> nutrition, I think yeah. is going to be a game changer, especially because like, I can see it happening. Right. Like mm-hmm. with everything going on in the world lately, like, soon the world's going to push back toward more natural roots, I think.
0: Well, it's not just that, but I I feel, I feel like just like anything else in veterinary medicine, right? We've evolved so much in the last 20 years, you know, we we've gotten away from like, um, I can't say the brands cause I don't want us to get sued. <laughs> like, the old dog name food that you could just get at any pet store. That was just kind of yeah. just not the greatest nutrition. Right. And now clients, pet owners are are willing to invest in and spend money on nutrition. And so it is making it so that there's new science and education that comes out of nutrition. Like, you know, this, yeah. it's huge. It's huge. It's just huge. And I think, It is evolving and I think it'll continue to evolve until, you know, we understand it better. And I think, I don't know. I think it's pretty cool. It is really cool. Anyways, that is our nutrition soapbox for all of you nutrition peeps that are like, oh my God, thank God somebody feels that way. We do. we're just not as obsessed as our VTS is in nutrition. So <laughs>
1: no, but trust me, VTS is in nutrition or anybody interested in nutrition. You are very well needed because nutrition yeah. is like, there is a reason why it's its own separate, like.
0: Right. And it touches every pet every time. I still remember that from a conference Ooh, a long time yeah, ago. <laughs> literally all the time. It's funny. Cause and it's like
1: nutrition's always needed. Right. That's why my husband yeah. like He might not like his job in a grocery store, but he works in a grocery store because he says people always need food. He will always have a job. Yep. Hint, hint, nutrition peeps. (laughs) Uh,
0: You will always have a job. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's to end end the hepatic (laughs) (laughs) disease, nutrition management. We have one more nutrition episode, which is next week. Um, so you'll still hear us rant a little bit about nutrition, but um,
1: although next week's episode probably will be shorter because we've already touched on cardio stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah. And well, and we'll get into it anyways, I'll we'll just, just leave it there. But yes, we'll talk about nutrition for cardio next week. Um, but yeah, I hope you guys learned a little bit more about hepatic disease. I know we've talked about nutrition. We, tr- well, we try to talk about nutrition and ep- most episodes where it's obviously, disease very specific yeah. um but but it is nice to kind of put them all together and talk about all the different ones so yeah absolutely
1: all right guys thank you so much for listening and making a commitment to learning i hope everybody has a fantastic week and we will talk to you guys next week.